0: Police are keeping phone hacking tools quiet. Google is adding a new security feature to their Pixel phones. Tutanota is continuing their push into quantum resistant security. A ton of data breaches, it's one of those weeks, and more. Welcome to Surveillance Sport 148 where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news from the past week. I am Nathan from The New Oil and Henry is taking this week off, which is fair. Our promo segment, as always, we want to remind you there is Patreon. If you want to keep us going in a recurring fashion and you want to get something in return for five dollars a month or more, you can ask us a question that we might address on our Q and A. For ten dollars a month or more, you don't have to listen to the segment and you get a lot more of our thoughts and analysis and things like that. Last week and this week might be a little light since we're kind of trading off. But usually, when there's the two of us, there's a lot of back and forth. If you don't want to worry about perks or you don't like Patreon, which is totally fair, and you still want something recurring, we have LiberPay. And last but not least, as always, we have. Monero, which is virtually anonymous. It's pretty much as anonymous as you can get on the internet. We don't know anything about you, but we do see the support. We are very grateful for it. Thank you for keeping us going. So I want to start off real quick before we jump in with a little bit of a PSA. My mom passed away this week. I'm doing okay. I I have a great support system, here at home, and I'm not fishing for sympathy, but there is a privacy and security lesson here I wanted to share. First of all, there's the obligatory non-privacy and security, tell people you love them. This was very, very sudden. My mother was relatively young. Thankfully, I told her I loved her a lot. We talked a lot. Our last talk wasn't a fight, anything like that, but you know, remind people you care while they're here. You really do never know when you won't have a chance. Second, and I know this sounds really weird, I thought so too. Because it was so sudden, she lives out of state. I was not there when she passed, but I'm told that at some point before she passed, she said that I knew her Bitwarden password. Just kind of like, you know, if I don't make it through this, Nate has my password. You guys can take care of everything. I don't know where she got this idea from. I don't know her password. (laughs) And I've already tried guessing all the ones I know of or all the ones I could think of that might be something she would use. Bitwarden is not being very helpful, which as a customer is great, but in this particular situation is a little frustrating. We cannot get into her email where the hint is being sent and it's Proton Mail, so we can't just like reset the password. <laughs> I mean, we could, but I don't know what's in there that we might lose, that we might want later. This is just my reminder to you guys as I'm living through the situation. If you haven't made plans yet for like, you know, what happens if I step outside and get hit by a bus tomorrow, Make them. Communicate your plans with the people who have them. Make sure that your loved ones either actually know your password or know how to get into your password, or you've set up like a, an emergency account access with your password manager, things like that. For those who want closure to stories, thankfully, it seems like my mother was very organized, uh, kept track of all her physical mail and papers. So I think we're going to be good as far as like finding all of her accounts, paying all of her bills, things like that. But I still wish we could get into the password manager. I think that would make things a lot easier. So, Make plans now while you can, and if your plan is people will figure it out, don't count on that. Because really in terms of like people who are close with her and like, would be most likely to guess her password, it'd be me and I'm at a loss. So yeah, spare your loved ones. They're already dealing with enough. Okay, I apologize if that was a little bit of a downer note to start on, but I felt like that was a really important message to share. Again, since I'm dealing with that and it really sucks. But with that, let's go ahead and jump into the highlight story. This is one that kind of made the rounds this week. Celebrite asks cops to keep its phone hacking tech hush hush. Quoting the article, for years, cops and other government authorities all over the world have been using phone hacking technology provided by Celebrite to unlock phones and obtain the data within. And the company has been keen on keeping the use of its technology hush hush. As part of the deal with government agencies, Celebrite has asked users to keep its tech and the fact that they used it secret. This request concerns legal experts who argue that powerful technology like the one Celebrite builds and sells and how it gets used by law enforcement agencies ought to be public and scrutinized. TechCrunch got their hands on like a Celebrite training video here and they're quoting the video. We don't really want any techniques to leak in court through disclosure practices or, you know, ultimately in testimony when you are sitting in the stand producing all this evidence and discussing how you got into the phone. Then the article goes on to say, For legal experts, this kind of request is troubling because authorities need to be transparent in order for a judge to authorize searches or to authorize the use of certain data and evidence in court. Secrecy, the experts argue, hurts the rights of the defendant and ultimately the rights of the public. The Celebrate employee claims the video that disclosing the use of its technology could help criminals and make the lives of law enforcement harder. I should have started this off at the top, but for those who don't know, Celebrate is a company that makes tools that hack phones. So if the police arrest you and you're not cooperating or you're not conscious or whatever, and they want to search your phone for evidence, quote unquote, assuming they get all the proper paperwork and everything, then they can use one of these tools to crack open your phone and search it digitally speaking. From what I understand, for those of you who are just finding out about this or who are concerned about this stuff, this stuff is very, first of all, it requires physical access to your phone. This is not like Pegasus where they just like send you an iMessage and all of a sudden your phone's infected. This this requires physical access to your phone, and it's also very, uh, it's very cat and mouse. Celerite will find a zero a day, they will start exploiting it. Apple will either be told about it or f- in a totally unrelated way, we'll find out about the zero day or we'll somehow patch it. And then it's, you know, they have to find a new zero day and it's just a very back and forth kind of thing. Let's move on to our data breaches. And we have a, a good half a dozen or so this week. There's some interesting ones. Let's start with a French government agency that exposed the information of 10 million people. This is, I'm totally gonna screw this up. I'm not a French speaker. Pôle Emploi France's Governmental Unemployment Registration and Financial Aid Agency. Although the agency does not specify the number of impacted individuals, La Parisienne reports an estimate of 10 million people based on like registration numbers during the impacted timeframe. The exposed information includes full names and social security numbers. Email address, phone numbers, passwords, and banking data have not been affected. And the article notes, this could potentially be part of the MoveIt breach because this agency is apparently part of the IBM cloud infrastructure that has been breached and the numbers of people affected kind of match up. But at the same time, nobody's confirmed that. Uh, The agency hasn't confirmed that. Clop Ransomware, who's behind MoveIt, they haven't confirmed that. So uh, it's unclear. It could be, but there's no confirmation yet. Of course, the article notes like names and socials alone, without the rest of that data, they're not quite as at risk as you would expect, again, with all that other data, email and phone numbers and passwords and stuff. But of course, there's always still a risk there of identity theft and phishing and things of that nature. And, you know, unfortunately, when you're unemployed, you're kind of at a low point, and And that's, that's very unfortunate that these people are already in a vulnerable spot and now being put at further risk. Our next story comes from Duolingo, where 2.6 million users have had their data scraped and released on a cybercrime forum. Duolingo, for those who don't know, is one of the largest language learning sites in the world with over 74 million monthly users worldwide. The data includes a mixture of public login and real names and non public information, including email addresses and internal information related to the Duolingo service. While real name and login name are publicly accessible as part of a user's profile, the email address is more concerning as they allow this public data to be used in at attacks like phishing attacks. Bleeping Computer has confirmed that this API is still openly available to anyone on the web even after its abuse was reported to Duolingo in January. And it is almost September as I'm recording this. So I'm curious, actually. I've seen people ask this before. Does anybody know if there's uh, like a a more privacy respecting version of Duolingo or uh, what's that new one? Babbel, Babblefish, something like that. I don't know. I'm just interesting. One of these days, I I really do want to learn more languages and I'd like to know what other options are out there. All right, our next one comes from an Indian ed tech startup, and I'm totally going to screw this up. Baiju, B-Y-J-U, has exposed sensitive student data, including loan details. So like I said, they are an Indian ed tech startup. They are the most valuable Indian startup, and they have fixed... They fixed this issue, at least. There's server-side misconfiguration that was exposing the sensitive data of students. They exposed some students' names, phone numbers, addresses, and email IDs. The exposed data also included loan details such as payouts, links to scanned documents, and transactional information related to some students. While the exact number of students whose data was exposed is unclear, the researcher said one or two million records were accessible due to the issue. So... All right, next up we have Tesla, who says that a data breach impacting 75,000 employees was an insider job. Once again, this was a notice filed with the main office of the Attorney General. Take a shot. The investigation revealed that two former Tesla employees misappropriated the information in violation of Tesla's IT, security, and data protection policies and shared it with the media outlet. This information includes personally identifying information like names, addresses, phone numbers, employment-related records, and social security numbers belonging to 75,735 current and former employees, unquote. The article didn't really say why the employees shared these files. I mean, I guess I could have gone looking for the outlets they mentioned, but they shared it with a couple of news outlets and I I guess they were trying to whistleblow something. That would be my assumption because I don't know any other reason you would share documents with reporters like this but they didn't really specify like what they were blowing the whistle on or what they were attempting to expose next up we have japanese watchmaker seiko who was breached by black cat ransomware gang seiko is one of the world's largest and most historic watchmakers with roughly twelve thousand employees and an annual revenue of over 1.6 billion dollars basically they're like you know hey we noticed intrusion on this date. we hired some investigators here's the steps we took as a result we are now reasonably certain that there was a breach and that some information stored by our company and or group companies may have been compromised and then they talk about how Black Cat, you know, posted this data for sale. And in the listing, the threat actors mock Seiko's IT security and leak what appears to be production plans, employee passport scans, new model release plans, and specialized lab test results. So they point out in addition to employee passport scans, that's very concerning. But this is also like a, an intellectual property concern for Seiko because, you know, specialized lab test results, new models. Yeah, this is bad news bears all around. All right, this next one I've seen a few people post about. Crawl Data Breach exposes info of FTX, BlockFi, and Genesis creditors. Crawl, who is facilitating claims for insolvent companies like FTX, BlockFi, and Genesis Global Hold Co., has confirmed that one of its employees was the victim of a SIM-swapping attack. Uh, there's going to be a lot to unpack here. Cybercriminals stole the employee's phone number and used it to gain access to some files with personal data of bankruptcy claimants. The article notes a little later on that they were using T-Mobile, because of course they were. The attackers bypassed MFA to take over the employee's account and access files, they say bypassed MFA, it's a sim swap, That's, it's a little misleading. Anyways, they access files stored in crawls cloud-based systems including full names, physical addresses, email address, and debtor claim details. Although the nature of the exposed data are not explicitly mentioned, the two companies clarify that user passwords and client funds have not been impacted as neither FTX nor BlockFi systems were directly breached. So these attackers are appear to be using the data that they stole in order to craft convincing phishing emails. So for example, they would send an email that say like, like, your funds are ready to be withdrawn from FTX and uh, they're pretty accurate because they would be able to say, you know, the person's last known balance like, you know, hey, you have three bitcoins waiting to be withdrawn or what I, I don't know how much most people have in cryptocurrency. I don't care, you know, and then of course you go to enter it in and it'll probably ask you like, you know, for more information, bank account, where do we transfer the funds to and things like that. And then our last story is an update. Discord starts notifying users affected by a March data breach. So you guys may or may not remember back in March, attackers gained access to Discord's support system and they were able to steal the data of 180 users. Specifically, they got access to email addresses, the messages that were exchanged with support, and support ticket attachments, so if they uploaded any screenshots or stuff like that. Discord is now formally notifying individual users. We are now moving into companies. So we're gonna start off with a new Google feature that ensures your Pixel phone hasn't been hacked. Here's how it works. Uh, This comes from Wired. I'm gonna quote a pretty good chunk of the article here. They say it's not in Google's best interest for its smartphones to be easily compromised, and the tech giant has just rolled out a new security feature that for now is exclusive to Pixel devices, Pixel Binary Transparency. You can think of it like a certificate of authenticity for your phone. It proves that the Pixel handset you have in your device is genuine and is not one that has been modified at the software level, potentially with security consequences. I already know where everybody's brain is going. Hold on. While this is Pixel only at the moment, it joins the existing Android verified boot feature in making sure that the phone that's in your hands hasn't been tampered with in any way, perhaps even before it reached you. So in theory, this uh, could be, if I understand correctly, this could be rolled out to other uh, uh, Android devices like Samsung's and stuff in the future, just like verified boot has, but for now pixels are first to market. Back to the article. In simple terms, the new Pixel Binary Transparency checks the Android operating system on a Pixel phone to make sure that the code is exactly as it should be. It's a bit like checking the authenticity of a painting, looking for signs of tampering, or checking that all the office doors and windows are locked at the end of the day. Google has written about the new feature in a blog post, which links in the article, and it says the feature will be built upon in the future. More specifically, the new safety measure uses public cryptographic logs, which the article describes as digital bookkeeping systems, to show what a Pixel installation should look like. Entries can be appended to these logs when new software is released, but they can't be changed or deleted. In other words, any unauthorized edits are going to stand out. And then they go into a little bit more detail, which this As usual, kind of went over my head, but for those who want some of the finer nuts and bolts, the logs use what's known as a Merkle tree to maintain the integrity of the records within them, a cryptographic structure that speeds up the process of checking large amounts of data for any tampering. The approach means that much smaller portions of data can be analyzed to identify whether or not any changes have been made. While Google itself admits that most users won't need the pixel binary transparency feature because of other safeguards already in place on Android, you can in fact try it on your own pixel phone or tablet. You're going to need to be familiar with compiling the code or using the Android debug bridge software that lets you analyze Android devices from a computer. PBT complements the existing Android verified boot or AVB safeguard, which works in a similar way. The instant an Android device boots up, it looks for a special software signature, verifying that all is well, the software is untampered with, and the boot process can continue. As with PBT, any tampering is virtually impossible to conceal. At the same time, AVB also protects the device from being rolled back to older, less secure versions of Android. So like many of you, my first question was, how does this affect custom operating systems or custom ROMs? I tried to do some research, and from what I can tell, it doesn't really affect the operating systems that much. For starters, a lot of people pointed out in in comments, and and I mean, you know, for the record, take this with a grain of salt, because the only place that I found these discussions happening were Hacker News and Reddit. And uh, Reddit was just like one comment thread, Hacker News was a lot. But most people were basically saying, this is redundant, this is dumb, Uh, you already have AVB. So if you're on an OS, that allows you to lock the bootloader, you've already got AVB protection because the firmware is already being verified. So you know nothing's been tampered with at that point. That said, I would imagine that if PBT applies to the OS, it's not going to apply to a custom OS anyways, which is already signed by the developers. So you should still get some kind of warning if it's a malicious attack. Let's talk about X, formerly Twitter. Verifying your identity will now require taking a selfie. Quoting the article, it takes about five minutes to complete, according to X, but requires submitting photos of your government-issued ID and taking a selfie. The personal information submitted is handled by, I don't know how to pronounce this, AU10TIX Authentix. Uh, An identity verification company based in Israel, the process users to consent to X storing their information for up to 30 days and sharing it with Authentics for for an identity check to occur. X states that the information along with the data collected from a user's profile will be used, quote, for the purpose of safety and security, including preventing, preventing impersonation, unquote. Based on some of the comments I've read, it seems that this will only apply to blue users or will in some way be optional. Like, in theory, you should be able to continue using it without handing over your ID unless you want to be verified or unless you want to sign up for Blue. That's just what I've heard. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if it'll stay that way. This comes from Gizmodo. It says, the College Board tells TikTok and Facebook your SAT scores. Quoting the article, many students have no choice about working with the College Board, the company that administers the SAT and advanced placement exams. Part of that relationship involves a long history of privacy issues. Tests by Gizmodo found if you use some of the handy tools promoted by College Board's website, the organization sends details about your SAT scores, GPA, and other data to Facebook, TikTok, and a variety of companies. Gizmodo observed the College Board's website sharing data with Facebook and TikTok when a user fills in information about their GPA and SAT scores. When this reporter used the College Board's search filtering tools to find colleges that might accept a student with a C plus GPA and an SAT score of 420, the site let the social media companies know. Whether a student is acing their tests or struggling, Facebook and TikTok get the details. Summarizing real quick, This is the tracking pixels, go figure. The article talks about, you know, for those who are just joining us, a history of tracking pixels and where they come from and what they're supposed to do and how they actually work. Going back to the article, the data is shared along with a unique user ID to identify students along with other information about how you use the College Board site. First of all, I'm willing to bet that you can configure it to not work that way. Because when we first started talking about the Metapixel, like last year, I think it was, or earlier this year, a lot of companies, when they were alerted to this, their solution was to change it. Like a lot of them got rid of it, but a lot of them were also like, oh, let me just reconfigure it to not do that. The spokesperson stressed that no personally identifiable information is shared when using pixels or cookies. Our test did not show the college board sharing information like names or phone numbers, which fall in the category of personal info. However, pixels and cookies typically contain unique strings of letters and numbers meant to identify and track users. And then they kind of go on to talk about how this whole de-anonymization thing is garbage and it's not true. So really good article, really worth a read, really worth sharing with your friends and family. And our last story, our our last uh, company story this week, I really wish Henry could be there for one because I know he has experience with this app. Introducing iVerify, the first mobile threat hunting company. So iVerify is an app that Henry has talked about before. From what Henry has said, it is an iOS app that alerts you when there's a new update. It recommends different settings you can do to make your phone a little bit more private or secure, things like that. Apparently, iVerify was owned by Trail of Bits. Who I know does security audits, probably does a lot of other stuff, security company. They have now spun out into their own independent company, or at least a separate company from Trail of Bits, and they're just gonna kind of expand their mission. They're gonna focus on protecting devices from advanced spyware and other privacy threats. According to the blog post, that's really their focus is privacy. And, you know, thankfully they. They don't like flat out say it, but they very heavily imply. They're like, look, we don't believe security and privacy are independent. We think that they often go together, but our focus is mainly privacy. So yeah, the post didn't really have a lot of details. You know, it was kind of just more of an announcement more than anything else. But they did say that they want to serve individuals as well as companies. So uh, this will be an app that you can download as an individual that will hopefully be affordable as an individual. And it's funny, Henry has always said this is an iOS app. But it looks like they're also available on Android. I don't know if that's new since they spun off or if it's always been that way, but... All right, so with that, we'll move into politics, and we only have a couple stories this week. Celebrate was our first political story, or I was going to put it in the politics section. Our next story says, the AI surveillance tool DHS uses to detect sentiment and emotion. Customs and Border Patrol told 404 Media it is using technology to analyze open source information related to inbound and outbound travelers who the agency believes may threaten public safety, national security, or lawful trade and travel. In this case, the specific company called FiveCast also offers AI-enabled object recognition in images and videos and detect of risk terms and phrases across multiple languages according to one of the documents. Marketing materials promote the software's ability to provide targeted data collection from big social media platforms like Facebook and Reddit, but also specifically named smaller communities like 4chan, 8kun, and Gab. To demonstrate its functionality, Fivecast promotional materials explained how the software was able to track social media posts and related persons of interest, starting with just basic bio details from a New York Times Magazine article about members of the far-right paramilitary boogaloo movement. 404 Media also obtained leaked audio of a 5Cast employee explaining how the tool could be used against trafficking networks or propaganda operations. And then they quote the Deputy Director of the ACLU's National Security Project. CPB should not be secretly buying and deploying tools that rely on junk science to scrutinize people's social media posts, claim to analyze their emotions, and identify purported quote-unquote risks. And then the, uh, the last segment that I, I took from this article. It says, related to the emotion and sentiment detection, charts contained in the five cast document include emotions such as anger, disgust, fear, joy, sadness, and surprise over time. One chart shows peaks of anger and disgust throughout an early 2020 time frame of a target, for example. If you've been listening for a while, we are no stranger to the idea of social media surveillance, which is kind of what this sounds like, right? Especially if you read the whole article, the real story here from what I can tell is the addition of AI to try and detect emotion in context. So first of all we have the emotion side. You know they're trying to teach teach this AI to look at pictures and videos and the tone of the message itself and determine like are you angry? Are you disgusted? Are you scared? Are you sad? Whatever. In addition to that, the article also talked about how they were trying to train the AI to recognize quote the concept of the drug oxytocin. So, like, it wasn't just trying to train it, like, hey, here's a picture of oxytocin. Do you recognize it? I think they were trying to train it to also recognize, like, people who might be using code, you know, saying, like, classic example, like, hey, man, you got this stuff. Or again, you know, people who might be leaning a certain way politically or have certain ideas, all of that stuff. So our last political story comes from Pennsylvania, and it says a court says that state police cannot hide how it monitors social media. The law enforcement agency had argued that fully disclosing its policy for using software to monitor online postings may compromise public safety. However... Quoting the article a little later on, justifying what the majority opinion described as heavy or complete redactions on every page of a nine-page regulation, the head of the state police's Bureau of Criminal Investigations argued that greater transparency about the policy would make its investigations less effective. The state office of Open Records held a private review of the blacked-out material and ruled that making the policy public would likely not harm investigations. Calling the social media policy process is strictly internal and administrative in nature. Redacted sections address the use of open sources, what approval is required, when to go undercover and use an online alias, and how to verify. Information. State police also blacked out an entire section on using social media for employment background investigations. And then uh, Andrew Christie, a lawyer for the ACLU of Pennsylvania, said the ruling, quote, sort of puts law enforcement on the same playing field as all government agencies. If they have a legal justification to keep something secret, then they have to put forth sufficient evidence to justify that, unquote. The article in question didn't really give any background to this. Like, why was this being discussed in court? Like, what was the case? But either way, I'd say this is a win. All right, with that, we'll move into FOSS, and we're gonna start off with some exciting story from Tutanota, raising the bar in security with Argon2. So for context, for those of you who are just joining us, brand new to privacy and security, when you log into a website, What they're supposed to do is what's called hashing. So you type in your password. They're not supposed to actually send your password to the website. They're supposed to encrypt it locally on your device. It's a one-way encryption called a hash. And then they send that hash off to the server. They compare the hashes. And if they match, you're good to go. And there's different algorithms you can use to do that hashing and one of them, the most recent, is Argon2. So, quoting the article, we are excited to let you know that we've updated the hashing function in Tutanota to Argon2, the most secure algorithm. As you know, we are planning to become the first post-quantum secure email and cloud provider, and we are very happy to announce that we have now achieved the first milestone in this project. With this update, your password, that is used to generate your encryption keys that encrypt all your data in Tutanota, will no longer be protected with Bcrypt, but with Argon2, a new and advanced algorithm that will lead to even better security. And just for the record, Bcrypt has... Up until now, been like the recommendation. It's been like the best hashing algorithm you could use. To my knowledge, it has not necessarily been cracked or broken or anything. It's just in light of quantum computing, we kind of need something a little more robust. And that's where Argon2 comes in. Argon2 has been the winner of the password hashing competition. And for good reason, this algorithm is currently recommended by most modern guidelines, including the OWASP OWASP Foundation, which they're just like a, a highly regarded cybersecurity organization. Argon2 brings a number of improvements over Bcrypt such as memory hardness and side channel resistance. The main problem is that there are no uh, and I'm cut and pasting parts from the article here so bear with me. The main problem is that there are no JavaScript implementation or at least none that we would consider using. There are however a number of JavaScript bindings for the reference C implementation compiled to WebAssembly. WebAssembly is a technology that allows code written in almost any programming language to be run in a browser. That's what we decided to use too, but we opted to write our own minimal glue to get the best loading times with the cleanest code. WebAssembly has been supported by all major browsers for a long time. That's why we opted for the solution as it brought the best results for all Tutanota users in terms of security and speed. One small hiccup is that although WebAssembly is supported, it is still not available in some situations. For example, on lockdown mode on iOS. We considered avoiding this requirement completely by compiling the C code to pure JavaScript, but that would make the app too slow to be practical. To enable everyone to use our new and more secure password protection with Argon2, we are letting people on all environments that might have an issue with WebAssembly know they will need this to improve their level of security. Most users will not have to do anything they will simply benefit from the increased security once it is rolled out some people who are using systems that have an issue with WebAssembly might see a warning if you are getting this warning on the tor browser you can either change to the standard security level in tor or launch another browser running the tor instance as a proxy if you are on lockdown mode on ios add an exception for tutanota if you are on android update your web view and make sure to use one of the supported browsers or the tutanota desktop client And our last FOSS story, this comes from Fire, well, it concerns Firefox. It says, Firefox users may import Chrome extensions now. One of the main arguments brought forth for switching to the web extension system for browser extensions was that it made cross-browser extensions easier. Firefox users may now reap the benefits of this promise as Mozilla has implemented functionality in the browser to import extensions from other browsers. The feature, which is in testing at the moment, can be enabled by all users of the latest stable version. And that's about config and then browser.migrate.chrome.extensions. And that's in the article, so... Don't worry if you missed that, (laughs) it's in there. Mozilla has integrated it into the browser's import functionality, which users may use on first run or at any time from the settings page. Imports are usually limited to some data, such as bookmarks or the browsing history. Firefox is the first major browser, maybe the first browser at all, that adds extensions to the list of supported imports. The feature is limited at this time to Google Chrome and select extensions. Even though Firefox and Chrome extensions use the same framework, they're not compatible immediately. Mozilla decided to create a list of extension pairs for extensions that are available on Chrome and Mozilla. Basically, if you you try to import an extension that does not exist, like is not using the web extension format yet. If there's a Firefox version, like it's the same publisher, it's definitely the same plugin, they'll just pull that one for you. So it's basically for you, it's the same, except as the article points out here, if you do that, you could lose like certain settings or certain customizations. So it's not exactly a one-to-one, but I mean, at least you don't have to go digging for it yourself and be like, well, is this the right one? I'm not sure. So plans are underway to extend the list to add more extension pairs to the import feature. So. And last but not least, we'll go into the misfit section. We have just one story, and this is a doozy. This is another one of those articles you guys may want to share with your friends and family. The headline says, browser fingerprints lead to price discrimination. I'm gonna quote a lot of the article here, but it's really interesting, so bear with me. Many companies will take advantage of any data they can get on you to charge more. For example, Care 11 News found from a rigorous study in 2019 that the popular retailer Target charged more to users using Target's mobile app when they were physically near the store, whereas the price was lower when they were near a competitor. In this example, Target is obviously aware that if you are physically near their store, then you're more likely to buy out of convenience and are less price sensitive. On the other hand, if you're standing near a competitor, Target needs to lure you away with a good deal. And uh, the example they gave here was like $100 difference on a smart TV. But location-based price discrimination isn't just limited to being near a store. Researchers from Germany and the Netherlands found that many popular travel websites charge more to book the exact same hotel room depending on what country the IP address is from and the browser's language settings. They studied automating booking hotel rooms using many different browser footprints like IP address, browser type, and language. They studied the prices received from many different countries for booking the same hotel rooms in Los Angeles, London, Berlin, and Tokyo. Across many different popular websites, they found U.S. citizens with the browser's language set on English paid the least. The article says, for example, Booking.com had significantly higher rates for booking the same rooms with a Pakistan IP address than with a US address. Clearly, Booking.com is taking advantage of those with less resources and education to charge more. In addition, the researchers found that changing the browser's language to German increased prices. But price discrimination isn't just about countries. The Harvard Business Review reported on a ProPublica study which found that a famous SAT preparation course charged more to Asians. Keep in mind, the review did not openly admit it to charging Asians more, but their algorithm increased prices for IP addresses in predominantly Asian neighborhoods, such as the poorest part Of Flushing Queens. What type of device you're using also influences the price you'll pay. A CBS News investigation found that a variety of companies charge more to PC users than mobile users. This may be because a seller can track you better on mobile. Researchers from Northeastern University found what browser you use to shop online could also influence the price. For example, they found that Travelocity charged $50 more to Chrome users. The results were not limited just to travel websites, but also found different types of price discrimination at Best Buy, Home Depot, Macy's, Newegg, Office Depot, and even Walmart. This problem has been going on for a long time. In a 2012 investigation by the Wall Street Journal, Orbitz was charging Mac users more than Windows users. And again, they credit that as, you know, Macs cost more, so they're assuming you have more money to spend. Algorithms fingerprinting you and abusing your personal data is not just limited to charging more, it can also result in less employment opportunities. Researchers at Carnegie Mellon found that women received fewer instances of Google ads, encouraging them to take higher paying jobs than did men. And for the record, these are just the highlights. Like, I think I did kind of hit up every story they covered. But each one was like a whole paragraph of like, here's why they think that is, here's like the logic, here's how they did the research. But on that wild note, that's all we got this week. Police are working really hard to keep their hacking tools quiet with encouragement by the company. Google is adding a new security feature for Pixels. Definitely let me know your thoughts on that one. Like I said, I didn't do as much research as I would have liked to, and I'd really like to know more from what you guys think. Tutanota is continuing their push into quantum-resistant security, and we'll definitely learn more about that. Tons of data breaches. We'll probably have tons more next week. Data breaches are kind of the only constant around here and more if you want to keep us going don't forget we have patreon five dollars a month or more you can ask us a question the q a will be out later this week ten dollars a month or more you don't have to listen to the segment you get more of our thoughts and and uh, commentary and stuff if you don't care about any of that we have libra pay and that's a great recurring automated way to keep supporting us Or, of course, we are always happy to take Monero. We don't see anything about you, but the support really does help us. So thank you for keeping us going. Thank you for listening. As always, please share the podcast around. Make sure you're subscribed. Give us a rating if you're on a platform where that's an option. We are trying to reach as many people as possible with the message of privacy, and you can help us do that. Again, if any of these articles, uh, you know somebody who you think might be interested, Feel free to tag the timestamp, send it to them and, uh, you know, maybe turn them into a regular listener. So thank you guys for listening and, uh, God willing, we will both be back next week. (laughs) Thank you guys for sticking with us.